You are listening to the OneOfUs.net Podcast Network. Hello, One of Us listeners. My name is Nick. You may recognize my voice from One of Us shows such as The Screener Squad, The Final Watch series, and occasionally The Breakfast Pub. Recently, I ventured into the world of audiobooks and created my own production company, Mercs with Mics, which so far has been quite successful. The bad news is that's a little too successful for me to actually keep up with the workload on. So I'm looking for some freelance audio editors to help me out with some basic editing. Things like editing out flub takes, loud breathing between dialogue, and the elimination of clicks and pops and other artifacts that might end up on the audio. Payment would start at the rate of $70 per full hour of edited audio. I'm also looking for narrators, with a decent home recording setup, and at least some previous experience in acting. If you are interested in either of these positions, please contact me at mercswithmikes at gmail.com. Thank you for your time, and a special thanks to all the listeners who support oneofus.net and keep this wonderful site going. You make me proud to be one of us. Oneofus.net and all of the shows on it are 100% subscriber-supported. Please consider becoming a subscriber to oneofus.net. Keep the site and all of our great shows going, and get some terrific bonus content as well. Time for another episode of Digital Noise, featuring Sir John Golson. What, what? <laughs> and special, special musical guest, uh, Monkey the Cat, who's purring so loud you've got to be able to hear him over the mics. Auditioning for cats. <laughs> yeah, um, I, we get it. They keep casting white people as cats, don't they? It's, That's it's, right, Monkey. It's not right. It's just not right. They keep casting those stinking humes. What what about all the cats who are trying to get work right now, huh? Mm -hmm. It's it's just unfair. (laughs) I'm not trying to make light of a situation, to be very specific. Um, This episode brought to you by the San Francisco Treat, Rice-A-Roni! Guests of Digital Noise stay at the Algonquin. (laughs) (laughs) I wonder if anyone's old enough to even recognize these references. (laughs) (laughs) I was with someone the other day who was, uh, well, I was with our friend Patience, and they're watching game shows, and I'm like, why are you watching game shows? Like, old game shows. Yeah. And she's like, I love game shows, and I just don't even know how to respond to that. <laughs> like, you watch, I mean, Jeopardy, everybody watches Jeopardy, right? When I was to some kid, extent. Game shows are what you sit through to get to the good stuff. Right. Like, the news is on, and you're not going to watch the news, so you're watching game shows. Right. Or soap operas, and you're watching game shows instead to get to the cartoons yes. or to get to the sitcoms. Yes. Although I would, was also into a few of the soap operas, to be fair. Uh-oh. Yeah, I liked me some General Hospital. Oh, my grandmother was all about Ryan's Hope and General Hospital. General Hospital had that wild and wacky period where they were like, somebody new must have come into the writer's room and was like, what if we just said, fuck it? And this went on for like six years where they were doing shit like there was magic and demons and fucking like Indiana Jones adventures and James Bond adventures and shit. And I was like, this is great. (laughs) (laughs) And then they, and then every once in a while they'd go back to the poor other characters who were like, I don't think you love me as much as you used to. And you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Get back to the quest for the ice princess. What's going on? (laughs) 
Anyway, uh, we are here to talk about home releases, as we do, and we have a mighty stack in front of us to take on. What? You look like you're about to say I was something. looking for the stack. Oh, it's over here. Oh, it's hiding from me. Yeah, it's 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 in the corner. It's fine. If you need to see one in your hand, I, I will right. hand it to you. But uh, so let's get right started right off with Hobbs and Shaw, or should I say Fast and the Furious presents Hobbs and Shaw. Like the Fast and the Furious is a person. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Hello, I'm Fast and the Furious. Well, if corporations Please can welcome be... welcome to my movie, Hobbs if and Shaw. If corporations are people now, I see no reason movie franchises can't be too. That's true i guess what i just would love the the possibilities for this now that what else could fast and the furious present in the future fast and the furious presents the muppet show which actually now that i think about it sounds awesome all universal films from here on out should just be fast and furious presents (laughs) whatever their own box office (laughs) fast and the furious presents downton abbey Mm -hmm. i i would that's the only thing that would make me watch that movie is if it started with fast and the furious presents but this is indeed the first, well, so, some would argue the second spinoff of Fast and the Furious, because Tokyo Drift. Oh, the, the, the people not, is that not a proper sequel anymore? Is that not a part three anymore? It, it had none of the characters from the original series. But haven't they woven those characters they have backwards sense. into the others? They have yeah. sense. But it's almost more of a spinoff in its way than this is, because these two characters, like uh, Dwayne Johnson and... Uh, What's his name? Uh, Jason Statham. Jason Statham. Yeah, British British snarky guy. Uh, are in David quite Stratham. a few of the, of the films. You know, this just feels like it's like a segment of another Fast and the Furious film. But Tokyo Drift was really like, well, it's the same type of thing. And there's a cameo by one of the guys at the end. But other than that, it's not really. You ready for a fun fact? What's that? I've never seen a Fast and the Furious movie. What? This is your first one? This was my first one. Oh, my God. What would Martin Scorsese say about this? I don't know. <laughs> but if you give Twitter 24 hours, he'll say something about something. <laughs> I'm sure he will. Yeah, um, I like the Fast and the Furious movies for what it's worth. I realize that th- they are very junky, but they've got that weird homeostasis where somehow they're perfect junk. You're like, yeah, I can see everything about this that's I- wrong with it, but something about it. It just all works exactly how it is. I thought that was maybe an Irish actor that was in one of the films, Homeostasis. <laughs> Homeostasis, no. Uh, uh, and this is what is directed by David Leach, who, of course, did the first uh, John Wick film, mm-hmm. and as well as, uh, I'm blanking on the name of it, the movie with uh, Charlie Theron, um, where she's on her own kicking ass as an Atomic assassin. Blonde? Yeah, Atomic Blonde. He knows how to direct action, is the long and short of it. And the series has gone from, we always laugh, we always go, hey man, remember when this was about, this series was about them boosting TVs and VCRs off the back of a truck? And now they're international super spies! Yeah. And they're fighting the Black Terminator, which is honestly, like, they're, they can only go crazier from here. And that's exactly what they're going to do. Like, one of the writers of the, the series has said, we are definitely going to be in space at some point. That is, yeah. There's no question before this series is over, they will be fighting in space with jet cars or some shit. Like, and everyone's like, Good. (laughs) (laughs) This is see somebody drive a car out of a space station window all the way down through the atmosphere of of Earth. And they've got to. Yeah. They've got to. There's no other way. And I hope it's a DeLorean. Mm -hmm. Just for the fuck of it. Just for the sheer why nots. I don't like Vin Diesel, is my confession. Okay. So, like, he, he... 
uh, is a is a good way to turn me off of a film. Uh, so that's why I've never watched. And I've tried to watch the first one three or four times, and I just cannot make it through. I can't. Have you seen Point Break? Uh, the original Point Break? Yeah. Um, no, I actually haven't. Oh, okay. so it is a gap in my viewing. I, I'm aware. I was going to say, it's basically just a remake of Point Break, the yeah. first one, but with race cars instead of surfboards. Okay. Um, from there on, it takes <laughs> each one is its own thing. I right. don't even know. Like the second one we call the greatest gay action movie of all time because it's like a buddy movie, but it's a little too homoerotic to be just a buddy action movie. Yeah. Uh, but it's, it's a terrible movie. It's just that's so over the top, you can't miss it. The third one is only good in retrospect. When it comes back around, when well, they... somebody told me the third one is the only one that's about street racing, like the others are sort of like crime movies or like even then, but this the third one is like purely a racing movie. I mean, it's probably the most a racing movie. Yeah. I mean, the first one had a good deal of that in okay. there too. I mean, they all have their moment. Like everyone has the gratuitous. Let's go to the racing place because for we gotta have a scene where like one of them drag races, but not Hobbs and Shaw, not Hobbs and Shaw because they're not drag racers. They're mm-hmm. not into that stuff. They are on their own international super spies before they ever came to this whole thing. Although Statham, of course, introduced originally as a bad guy in the series, yeah. which is the running fun thing with the series is nobody stays a bad guy. If they either die or they become a good guy is the rule, and we're happy about it, especially with this one because. Uh, the bad guy, Idris Elba, Black Terminator, you're just the whole movie going, God, I hope they don't kill you and you turn into a good guy. <laughs> I really want you to be like one of their buddies in a future episode. And yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm calling it now. That's exactly what's going to happen. He's going to show up like too fast and the furious from now. And they'll be like, whoa. And he's like, Hey, hey, calm down, guys. I've changed my ways. I'm here to help. That's exactly what's going to happen. I mean, this is so ridiculous that like, uh, Jason Statham literally killed the, one of the main characters and good guys from the whole series, Han, uh, like murdered him in an earlier episode as a bad guy. And they're all like, yeah, shit happens, bud. Come on in. <laughs> Cause he's Jason Statham. Right. Why not? I'm not sure how to describe the plot of this one. Really. It's like, uh, introducing the Jason Statham has a sister played by Vanessa Kirby, who's a badass herself, MI6 field agent. Uh, she is defending a top secret blah, 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 that is like a viral load of something. And she to get away from evil Terminator Idris Elba, who's super, he's not literally a Terminator, but he's got right. superpowers. He wants, he wants the MacGuffin virus. Yeah. The USA wants the MacGuffin virus and their agent is the rock. And Statham's involved because his sister's involved. Right. And the British are like, we can't find your sister. We think maybe she stole yeah. it. But of course she didn't. But she injected itself herself with it because it was the only way to escape with it. And she, there's a countdown timer before it's going to kill her and explode and kill lots of other people besides that. So the two of them have to keep away the bad guy and get to a place where they can take the virus out of her before the timer runs out. Which also involves going to visit Dwayne Johnson's whole family on Hawaii, he said, question mark. Um, uh, that all are a lot of very recognizable uh, people of that from either that part of the world or New Zealand pretending to be from that part of the world Yeah, <laughs> who fight off bad guys using traditional ancient weaponry. I, everything about this is ridiculous. And yet I still had a good time with it overall. And I think a lot of that has to do with just straight up. There's an awful lot of chemistry of the, the, you know, mismatched buddy cop thing between the two leads. Uh huh. I mean, yeah. you, you, you say that like, like, I can see that on paper you are correct, sir. So I, I actually wanted to see this. Um, and I thought it was, for the most part, it was exactly as advertised, except it wasn't 
uh, it wasn't brisk. It was a little, it was a little bloaty. Everything like, oh, it is, yeah. Because all the action stuff is special effects driven. Um, it there's a certain there's a certain like weight weightlessness, like kind of a lack of danger that takes place in the action scenes, which is sort of a given. Like, I felt like I expected that to be the case from the trailers. The action scenes are very fakey fake, um, but they're they all be- they all go on a little too long and there's too many of them in a movie where they're all kind of fakey fake. Like Mm -hmm. I sort of wish that they'd been a little more judicious with, with tightening that stuff up so that it wasn't like, so then when it starts to press up against two hours, it's just sort of like it, it, it's, it starts to wear out. It's welcome just a little bit. Um, but it was exactly what I pictured it to be from the trailer. So in regards to me going like, oh, I kind of, I would see that. Like I would kind of, I'd watch that movie. Well, Hey, I watched that movie <laughs> and the trailers and the trailers were correct. Like that's exactly what I got. I got a lot of banter back and forth, a lot of really ridiculous, um, uh, action sequences. Um, but just a little, a little, a little fat, it's a little gassy. It's a little... Uh... Yeah, a movie of this type doesn't need to be over two hours long. Yeah. I mean, end of story. The This style of film harkens back to the classic Schwarzenegger days of action movies. Yeah. Which, I miss that kind of period of just, it's so ridiculous, but who gives a fuck we're here to have a good time. But you should be in and out in an hour and a half. Yeah. And it does feel like... Maybe you could have found a way to like split this up into two you movies. You don't have or enough something. story to tell for something that long. <laughs> you know, it's just... It's... I, I guess... I mean, if you're a fan of this series, I guess it's great because it's like you're getting an extra plate at the buffet. Uh, <laughs> but it was just a little, it was a little too, a little bit too long in the tooth, a little bit too. Yeah, yeah. It has its moments. It'll lose you and then win you back repeatedly. Yeah, I, I liked the sequence the with the Pacific Islanders. I did like that. Uh, thought that stuff was pretty cool. But yeah. It, could have come into play earlier. Yeah, they definitely could have skipped a huge Love segment. Of, yeah. Uh, this is one of those, this also reminds me of like those sort of early Blu-ray releases or DVD releases when they tried to pack everything they could possibly think of to sell you on buying it for bonus features because there's honestly a ton of stuff on here. So if you're interested in buying this, there's a lot of like brief featurettes about almost everything that you can imagine. And some of it's really funny in its own right. There's a little bit with Ryan Reynolds and Kevin Hart. That's funny. Um, uh, there's co- audio commentary with David Leach. The one thing, this drives me crazy when they do this alternate opening. And I hate to tell you guys, but just changing the order of things does not make it an alternate opening. Uh, it's exactly the same. It's just, we reversed the order that things happened and that's it. And that's an alternate opening. You should spend your 10 minutes on. It is not. I hate to break it to you. Anyway, let's move on to our next thing, which is go- another movie with an and in the middle is the only connection I have between these two. Do you like stuff. and movies? Well, here's another one. <laughs> Do you like ampersands? Well, here's another ampersand for you, and that is Thunderbolt and Lightfoot. Uh, very, very frightening me. Galileo. Sorry. No, that's a different thing. Um this is a fantastic 1974 crime comedy film written and directed by, holy shit, Michael Cimino, who went on after, this was his f- debut as a director, and after this he went on to do The Deer Hunter. Yeah. Um, And he got this because he had already been working, he had written several films, including, I forget, one of the, I want to say one of the Dirty Harrys, 
Um, oh, yeah. And so Eastwood was like, wow, I really like your style, man. Got to be friends with them. So I got a script from this, said, I'm going to personally produce this and make this and star in this film, and I want you to direct it. Uh, so Eastwood was the one who gave him his step up. Was there a film? Bet- uh, I could look it up myself. Wonder if there- I'm kind of curious if there was a film between this and Dirty Harry. Uh, Dirty Harry's release to the release of this. Well, film. I don't think he wrote Dirty Harry. He wrote one of the Dirty Harrys. Oh. I can't remember offhand which one it, it is. Um, oh, uh, Magnum Force. Okay. And he also wrote Silent Running. Interestingly enough, I did not know that. But yes, those, then this, then onto the Deer Hunter, which won all the awards. Yeah. As well, it deserved to. But this is a. Really forgotten, genuinely entertaining crime caper comedy film. Yeah, you want me to take this one? Sure. Uh, Jeff Bridges is kind of a, a young petty car thief who literally stumbles across uh, Clint Eastwood, who is this um, renowned safe cracker. Um, Clint, Clint Eastwood is is hiding out as a as a preacher in a church and. Uh, some, some guys that he'd crossed in his past are onto him. And so he's fleeing at pretty much the exact same time that Jeff Bridges is fleeing with his, with his new stolen wheels and the two cross paths and take a liking to each other. And, uh, it's, they're kind of in and out of little situations and little adventures as they get to know each other. And the audience kind of gets to enjoy the relationship between these characters before, uh, George Kennedy and, uh, uh, Lewis, Juliet Lewis's dad, Jeffrey um, Lewis, Jeffrey Lewis, yeah, who you you'll um, recognize, yeah, before you've seen him and stuff. Before these two people from Clint Eastwood's past come calling, and basically, um, it becomes evident that there was money left over from a previous job that they all then are sort of like, well, look, instead of all you know killing each other, we should get together and try to retrieve this money from this previous job that was left behind, and the heist portion probably takes up the last uh, half to a third of the movie. Mm. Um, it's Really, really, really good. Yeah. It's really good. This was my second time watching it. Actually, Kino re-released this initially on DVD, I want to say, two years ago. Mm -hmm. And now this is them re-re-releasing it on Blu-ray. And and great widescreen photography, too. I mean, as far as it being, like, on Blu-ray, there are a lot of... uh, There are a lot of shots of them in, like, rural-type settings where the camera is framed just perfectly, where it's like... Oh, they're kind of on the left or right hand side of the screen. And, you know, in the background are these mountains. And then there's like a stream in like the mid, the middle of the screen. There's a lot of really, really, really nice shots. Lots of really, it also has kind of one of those, not quite like after hours, but those movies, it, 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 I don't want to oversell it as this because it, it flirts with it, but it's not that kind of movie. Those kind of movies where people, um, are just sort of like coming across other wacky characters. Yeah. It kind of flirts with that for a while. They come across, uh, Jeff Bridges meets these two girls on their first night there. Uh, one of them played by, uh, Catherine Bach from, from Dukes of Hazard, I believe. Yeah. Um, or there's another scene where they meet this wacko in this like jacked up, Muscle car that's with a trunk such a full weird of rabbits. <laughs> yeah, which that, if that makes no sense, it's not supposed to. Even to no. them, they're like, "What the fuck, dude?" <laughs> I found my favorite. I was looking for a movie poster of the film to post on Facebook that I was watching it because it was one that I liked enough. I was like, I want other people to watch this, uh, you know, and also a te- kind of a tease to the show too. But I found this poster that was the scene of Clint Eastwood 
uh, punching the guy in the stomach that had the rabbit, the car full of rabbits. And I hadn't gotten to that scene in the movie yet. And I was like, what is going on here in this, <laughs> in this on this movie poster? But yeah, it, it's, it was excellent. Jeff Bridges is good. Clint Eastwood is good. And it's from a brand, brand new 4K master that they struck. Yeah. So all those Samino-ish landscape scenes, that's very Michael Samino, yeah. look fantastic. I mean, this is a, like, although the, uh, uh, Badlands, although it came out around the same time, I believe, is certainly not a, I would call a comedy caper film. They have a similar feel to the look of the way they're, they're filmed. Just yeah. lots of the American Southwest and what have you and beautiful long shots and they're both road movies. Um, good companion pieces, perhaps I would say. Mm-hmm. But yeah, this looks terrific and makes the most out of Samino's pho- photography here. It's genuinely funny as hell. Yeah. Um, if you, ever wanted to understand why Jeff Bridges turned into one of the biggest movie stars in the world, look no further than this movie to see, wow, he used to be pretty much the most gorgeous man on the planet. And the heist stuff works as a heist movie. Like that stuff is really good as well. Like it is very meticulous in regards to at this time, this is going to happen at this. I mean, all the beats you would expect from like a typical heist movie. Yeah. Um, And then you watch them carry out the heist according to plan and everything that can go wrong and everything that can go right. Uh, I, I quite enjoyed this movie and I was glad that, uh, I was glad it ended up in my stack because I don't know that this is one that I ever would have like sought out or watched or anything like that. That's this is a, a total happenstance that like, you know, I got to see a really, really good older movie that, you know, you, you everybody talks about the good ones. Like yeah. we've done Apocalypse Now and stuff like that on the show. And I feel like there's certain ones that are always in the conversation. And this is not a movie that's ever in the conversation. And it should be. And it should be. It's yeah. really damn good. Yeah. It's it's one of those, like, people always talk about, man, I know there's some gems out there that are yeah. just truly un- unimpeachable, like, fantastic movies that just for some reason got passed over in the conversation. And yes, you're right. There are. Yeah. This is one of them. Yeah. I, I mean, I only discovered it because I've been a lifelong Clint Eastwood fan and was like, I, you know, anytime there was like a home release of something or something I hadn't heard of with an Eastwood's in it, I was like, sure, I'll give it a shot. Mm. So stumbling across it going, holy shit, this is literally one of his best movies. Yeah. Uh, anyway, there's also a you know, audio interview with the director for the love of characters uh, talking about um, working on this. He also goes and talks about his friendship with Clint Eastwood, uh, working with John Ford, working on Magnum Ford, and more. There's an audio commentary with critic Nick Pinkerton, and then trailers, TV spots, and what have you. Yeah, this is good stuff. Very good. Uh, next up is another uh, older Kino release, and another film that I'm like, holy crap, I am so glad I got to see this, and another guy, I'm like, if Walter Matthau is in something and I haven't seen it, I'll give it a shot. And this is one I'm like, man, I'm so glad I gave Charlie Varick a shot because it is fun. Yeah. <laughs> I put this right up there with Hopscotch as those movies that Man, you probably haven't heard of this, but you should really see this. And it's Mathau once again. Originally, you might see it if you get like a, if you find smaller releases of it, sometimes it's called The Last of the Independents. Sometimes it's called Kill Charlie Varick. But generally speaking, it's under Charlie Varick. And this came out in 1973, directed by the guy who kind of became the 70s definition for badass action director Don Siegel. Like he did the bulk of the Dirty Harry movies. Well, I think even there's some cockiness on display with his opening credit because I think it says a Siegel film in like cursive. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, oh, crap. He's not even, it's not even saying a Don Siegel film. It's like a Siegel film. At this point, he was big enough. He could. He had done the original Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Yeah. As well as one of his early films. And that's a, another 
an unimpeachable classic. But uh, he plays, uh, not Don Siegel, um, Walter Matthau, plays a guy who's a former stunt pilot and crap duster, uh, but that's his kind of his cover job. On the whole, he is a bank robber, and we meet them. They are in the middle of, of about to start a bank job with his wife uh, waiting in the car, him and his two accomplices going in. They Things don't go perfectly on the way in the escape. His wife, one of their accomplices is shot. His wife is shot. And they're like, this did not go as great as I thought. But now it's a matter of, okay, well, we just got to sit on this until they realize, wait, there was way too much money in that yeah. bank. Uh, and they realize, fuck, this bank was a front. They were holding money for the Las Vegas mob. We're totally fucked because it's not the police we need to worry about. It's the mob. They're like a dog with a bone. So thus begins, what do you do then? And Varric is the guy who is, you know, he's sober thinking, knows exactly the right move to do here. But his particular, his accomplice, uh, um, Andrew Robinson, who, yeah, who you might know from Hellraiser as the dad. Yeah, or Garrick <laughs> from Deep Space Nine. Yeah, oh, that's right. I or, forgot. and this was the connection, this is why I was asking about Dirty Harry, uh, or the killer in Dirty Harry. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Uh, he's the, this is, who's a little more hot-headed and just wants to take the money and run, doesn't understand the, the weight of the situation they're in. And, and, like, it's the best thing that could possibly happen here. Like, the best, con- like, combination of people. John Vernon, who works for the mob, who of course is the evil dean from uh uh Animal House. Yeah. Uh hires Joe Don Baker <laughs> to be as a badass hitman to go oh, track. More than them a badass. Down. He's a shithead. Yeah. Like, yeah, he's a badass, but he's also a shithead. Right. Uh and he's he's mean to a lot of times you'll see people bad guys in movies are like nice to other bad guys. And not he's, this one. He's bad to other bad guys. Yeah, I mean, like he's it, a real piece of work. They sent him to like a really ups. Well, I hate to upscale whorehouse. I guess yeah. I don't have like a basis for comparison. But in movies, I suppose a, a for the South, the South ups in the seventies, and he just treats everybody there like shit. And there yeah. couldn't be nicer to him. And he's like, "Fuck off." Where's yep. my breakfast? Yeah. <laughs> I'm not interested in you, dirty whores. Like, wow. Um. But this is a solid little film, man. I wouldn't put it on the quite the same level as Thunderbolt and Lightfoot as an all-time classic. Mm-hmm. But, man, it's a fun Walter Matthau doing what he's best at, being yeah. the guy who's the smartest guy in the room, but is going to let other people keep talking. Go, uh-huh. It's like Bed's Ladies, like James Bond, where it's like one second he has a gun in their face, and like the next second he's in bed with them. Yeah, that that <laughs> is true. Interesting to see. You you kind of go like, wait, I want to see the, I want to see how that seduction went. Can you show me the scene where Walter Matthau was like, maybe we should go to bed together or whatever? You know, it's like, I don't, I don't see how those things connect with, to each other. With uh, Sherry North, who uh, was at one point being prepped by 20th Century Fox to step up and take Marilyn Monroe's mantle. Wow. Yeah. Well. She's a little bit older. I thought point. this, I, I the first half of this is really great. Um, I only kind of started to run out of steam a little bit in the second half. It spends a lot of time, it spends more and more time away from the two main characters, which, uh, which to the detriment, I think, of the overall movie. Because you really do get to know them and, and care about the sort of the situation and the turning point in the situation at the be- through the beginning of the movie. And then it, it spends a lot of time with Vernon, a lot of time with Joe Don Baker, maybe in an inordinate amount of time with them um, to cause it to kind of lose some steam in the back half. But, but it is a really crackerjack little crime movie. Yeah. Yeah. It's good stuff. 
Uh, there is a uh, documentary, The 76 Minutes, uh, The Making of Charlie Varick. There is a new video essay by critic Howard S. Berger talking about Don Siegel's cinematic style and deconstructing this movie in particular for 36 minutes. Uh, there's an episode of Trailers from Hell, which uh, where they discuss how much they love this film. Uh, there is a brand new audio commentary by a critic, uh, Toby Rowan, who's a big fan of this film, and then an eight-page illustrated booklet, trailers, and what have you. But yeah, definitely, if you've ever found you had any affection at all for this period of films, for Don Siegel movies, for Walter Matthau, this is one, definitely, it's not an all-time classic, but it is kind of a like underappreciated little gem, I think. Oh yeah, it's good. Yeah, it's really good. And honestly, like a lot of times I think when you watch an older action movie, uh, Thunderbolt and Lightfoot, I wouldn't say is an action movie. I think it's a little bit of a character piece, but yeah. also a heist movie. Yeah. Um, this movie, I would say, is more of an action movie than Thunderbolt and Lightfoot. And a lot of times when you watch old action movies, we just, me and Wendy watched something where it was just, oh, I know what it is, and it's in the stack, where it's just shootouts. That's the action is like, I'm going to stand behind this wall, and every now and then I'm going to pop out and shoot a couple rounds off, and I'm going to hide behind the wall, and then I'm going to pop out and shoot a couple rounds off. Well, that's our and next like, film. That's sort of the way action movies were. And to me, Charlie Varick the fact that the ending is this weird thing between he has, he he's going to meet the mob guy and he decides to survey the scene from like his prop plane that he has in storage and all of the pieces there. Joe Don Baker is lying in wait in a junkyard. Meanwhile, he's supposed to go to this drop point and he's in a plane. All of this st stuff comes together in like a really satisfying way that felt very much like a modern action movie sequence. Sure. I mean, yeah, it's still the 70s, so it's still it still has things about it that are quote-unquote dated. Yeah. But the very fact that it's like, all right, we have all these complicated pieces we're going to put into play at the end of this thing is very much the modus operandi of something like Hobbs and Shaw, where it is like, all right, let's take these weird things that don't look like they would all go together and, and then bring, them, to bring together them together for a big action finale. And it is a great finale, that yeah. movie. I love the way it comes together yeah. at the end. Uh so our next movie is another Don Siegel film, and I only knew it. I think it's the one you're talking about. I, I only so. knew it because Mystery Science Theater used to reference it all the time. Oh, uh, no, it's not this one. Okay. But uh, you're close. But you're mad close. again. Yes. <laughs> um, I also knew it because there was a short-lived television series spinoff actually starring the actor from this movie, even though, spoiler, he actually dies at the end of it. So not sure how they justified that. Also... The, the movie is kind of about the ineffectualness of police corruption to some degree, but the television show, he was just straight up a hero, I guess. So, well, in, in this, like, they, <laughs> Madigan and his partner go to, um, this guy's house to give him the shakedown and, they they see a naked woman. There's a woman in the guy's bed, and she gets up out of bed, and it distracts them long enough for them to get their gun taken away. Right. And then the rest of the movie is sort of them, like, trying to, uh, like, re retrieve the gun. They're trying to retrieve the gun and being given the, you guys fucked up yeah. by the police commissioner, yeah. played by... Like, played by, with a sort of, what am I even doing here type of exhaustiveness by Henry Fonda. Yeah. Like, you get the feeling he's like... This was between, between projects when I signed up for this. Cause he's the character any other time you'd go like, well, this movie's about him, but there's not enough of a minute for it to be about him, but it spends a lot of time with him. And it's, yeah. he's like, you guys, you fucked up. You got to get this. And then finding out more and more how fucked up these guys are mm -hmm. with it. There's, you know, this is weirdly Siegel who went on from this to do the Dirty Harry movies, which are just, yes, he doesn't play by the rules, but that works for him. This is, yes, they don't play by the rules and it doesn't work for them. <laughs> I thought this was really interesting in regards to, I feel like the screenplay 
which also chronicles sort of the home lives of these guys as well and affairs and things like that that they have. And I felt like this, the movie is, we have the movie is is still shackled to filmmaking techniques of the 1960s. Mm. It has not yet reached that 70s place where things start to feel more realistic. Um, it definitely that, feels more 60s that, for sure. Yeah, that stuff would come later. Oh, it's 1968. Yeah. So there you go. So the screenplay, but the screenplay itself, I felt like honestly, you could probably shoot that script today. And you wouldn't know that it was written back then. And I felt like the DNA of things like The Wire or The Shield could heavily be seen in Madigan, which almost, and it's funny, I've never seen the TV series, but as I was watching it, I was like, this reminds me of television cops from now where you do get to see them be dirty and do, and like, there may be an episode where one of them like, Oh shit, I lost my gun. Or you get to see them interact with their mistresses and their wives and stuff like that. To some extent it has the look and feel of a, of a sixties cop television show. Um, but it, I think also it's really into showing you New York at this period. Mm -hmm. Like it's almost like the city is the, the third main character in the film. Uh, and I know that's a lot of what a lot of critics talked about how much they liked about it, that it's so representative, representative of New York in this period of time. I actually found it kind of dull myself. There's a lot that you can analyze about it that say, as you're saying, the roots of so many things seem to stem from this, but as it is, it didn't hold up very well. I, like I said, it's just unbalanced. None of the characters are particularly likable. That, um, that's very true. Or, uh, and they're trying to at least make them, if you're not going to be likable, at least be interesting, right? Yeah. I didn't find any of them that interesting. I actually thought the bad guy who we barely see on screen was the most interesting character in the movie. I'm like, that guy fucks. I want to know more about him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. So I'm pra- I'm praising it, but almost with the kind of like, it felt it felt TV to me, and it's weird yeah. to think of that as being like a standalone cinematic film from that time. Yeah, it 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 felt more like what we would come to expect from cop television because the stakes are so. Uh, they just I never mean, they never feel high until yeah. the very end with the big shootout at the end. Yeah, which even then is like all of a sudden like okay, and now we're at the end. Yeah, <laughs> and, and and having that sort of like that of the time feel that kind of makes it feel like dragnet. It feels like dirty yeah, dragnet. It sort does. Of like most of the time. Yeah. What if it turned out like that? What's this? What was the guy? Joe Friday. Joe Friday actually was like, like cheating on his wife on the yeah. side and was like uh, taking bribes and stuff. It's yeah. kind of what it feels like, which I, sounds cool, but it's not as cool as it sounds. Yeah. I think if, if you feel like you, this is something that might interest you, then I would say follow that road because it might interest you. Uh, we have probably said enough at this point to know whether or not that's going to be a turnoff for you. True. Um, but yeah, I, I may have liked this more than you, but only marginally so. I don't, I, uh, I didn't love it, but I, th- I still think it has an interesting screenplay. Uh, this is Kino Lober. There is a couple of vintage trailers and TV spots. Other than that, there's just a audio commentary from critic, critics Howard Esberger, Steve Mitchell, and, and Nathaniel Thompson talking about Don Siegel and the making of this film. Where do you think all these critics come from? I don't know. I never heard of most of these guys. But then again, <laughs> That's so weird, if they're not right? from Austin and they're not like just insanely famous, I don't know. But then are. sometimes booklets, like I'll know people that wrote booklets for like Criterion and stuff like that. But uh-huh. on the audio commentary tracks, I'm always just like... I. I interact with film critics all the time and I'm like, I don't, I don't know who these people I, yeah, are. Yeah. I haven't. Yeah. What? Who? Yeah. I mean, I guess anybody can say, yeah, I'm a film critic here. It's like, wait a minute. Are you a paid film critic? 
Okay, let me see a dollar. <laughs> okay, now I'm a paid film critic. Uh, next up, we have It Always Rains on Sunday. Man, um, oi. Oi. <laughs> this is one of those, um, what do you, what is the name of the studio? I'm thinking, Elsing. Elsing Studio Films, which I, I, there is a, I think you almost have to be British to truly love the films that came out of this big studio period because they are so goddamn British. Like, it's hard to identify with. They're so British, even at some Ealing, not Elsing. El- sorry. Ealing, Ealing sorry. Studios. Yes, you're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. But this is considered to be the best, one of the best out of their post-war films. Well, it's considered to be the best of their noir films, which yeah. they didn't make a hell of a lot of because most of their stuff were, including this, are very character-based, very like slice of life-ish. Um, a lot of which were more comedy of manners. This is one uh, that is kind of doing that but it's set in the very lowest class british folks it's like if guy Ritchie had been alive in the 40s what movie he would might have made yeah but not terribly funny (laughs) i guess anyway i'm gonna let you talk about what it always rains on sunday is about um it is about a a a woman uh, this guy is an ex-con and he goes and lives with his he goes and moves back in with his wife um you know and he's got that baggage of having gone to jail and well he's not doesn't even move back into this wife he 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 escapes from jail and is hiding in her house okay and she's remarried to another dude yeah yeah so and she has kids with him and everything or has not kids with him but she's taking care of his stepkids so she's hiding the ex-con ex-boyfriend and his past comes a call in at some point yeah, um, and then the girls are involved in stuff as well, which I have no idea why the girls have plots or stories. Yeah, in this, this was dreadfully boring. Um, this was this was the most difficult movie to make it through, uh, but not the worst. <laughs> I think there's an I think there's a worse movie in this batch. Okay, but this was the toughest to actually watch. Like this was a very very challenging. Uh, watch. It's, it's this is one of those dry. pry your eyelids open types of movies. Yeah. Like you have to be really interested in the history of film and the nichiness of Ealing Studios films. Like the only film I think I've ever actually enjoyed a lot from Ealing Studios was Kind Heart and Hearts and Coronets. Yeah, but even that was like I had to be really paying attention. <laughs> I didn't find any of the characters interesting, which made it really difficult for me to get into. Um, I I it. Yeah, it always felt like I was fighting to grasp, not from a hard-to-understand point of view, but just, you know, they talk about movies having, like, letting audiences, quote-unquote, in. And this was one where I was just like, it never opened a door for me. No. I just... It's just inaccessible. Yeah. In a lot of ways. Yeah. It was hard to identify with. I get that it's very sociopolitical, but sometimes things are so of the region and of the time that it's hard to... I just couldn't find an access point to it or identify with anyone in this film. Um, and yeah, it's dry. It's very the- like theatrical type acting. Theatrical it's- without being melodramatic. So yeah. even then it's sort of dry. It's like everything is just a little too... And it's also uh, short of, you know, a little bit of like a more traditional noir finale. It's um, It's also just not particularly interesting like it's not really like i just it's one of those i see what you're getting at yeah i just don't care 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, there is a audio commentary track by film historian Imogen Sarah Smith, <laughs> a Talking Heads featurette, uh, a Locations featurette, and a trailer as well. This is Kino Lober's series. Uh, next up, going to Arrow, we have a really odd little Donald Sutherland movie called Apprentice to Murder. Okay, this this was is the worst, the worst thing one. I saw. See, but it wasn't the most boring. No, no, the, that this this from this a was quality pre- standpoint was the was the yes agreed. The I mean, way more entertaining to watch than <laughs> It Always Rains on Sunday, but definitely not a good. What film. if the movie Frailty was was made for Swedish school children is sort of like <laughs> there's something about this movie that it feels like there used to be these weird and this came out late 80s but the, yeah, I feel like growing up you and you probably know this from your childhood but I feel like we used to see shit like this in like 81 or 82 that would come out of nowhere and play on like HBO all the time or Showtime mm-hmm. all the time and just be like and it would feel almost like like it you could tell it wasn't quite American like what's like I realize these are American actors, but there's something about the tone and the filmmaking and the music and the combination of things that's just like this is not how movies look and sound. Like this is not yeah. to my ears. This is not music. Like what is this? This feels exactly. like one of those movies. Somebody who works for Arrow was just assigned to sit and go through IMDb <laughs> and go like just find some actors that are great and look and see what stuff of theirs isn't currently out that or that, or that maybe you've never heard of and read. And he read the description of this and went. What the fuck is this? Yeah. <laughs> we gotta check this shit out. And it is, it is, there's no, the, nothing about this movie is going, or that we could even tell you is going to expect you, like, prepare you for it's gonna what it is. It's gonna sound cooler than it is. Yeah, because exactly. You're gonna go, okay, there's Chad Lowe, and he's like a farm boy in Pennsylvania, and his dad <laughs> is a drunk, and so he spends all his time with this weird, they call it powwow medicine faith healer quasi christian quasi mystic uh doctor quote yeah. unquote played by donald sutherland uh who appears who, very kindly and sweet yeah and-, and who also is seems to be able to talk chad Lowe's character into some kind of state of mass hallucination where he, they can see demons yeah and chad Lowe also has a girlfriend on the side played by mia sarah one of those um, actresses i've always like Man, she sh- why didn't she turn into a bigger star? Yeah, I mean, I she was know. in Legend. She played the lead love interest Legend and Ferris Bueller's Day Off. I remember just being enchanted by her as a teenager. I don't know. Yeah, don't know what happened. Uh, maybe this well, movie she was is in this. Yeah, <laughs> she went um, into this. Yeah. yeah, and so you end up with this like kind of the same questions that Bill Paxton sort of asks in Frailty in regards to like, oh, are they actually seeing demons? Are they not? And the but the movie is so. Um, like something you would watch in a film strip at school. It's very like <laughs> it's a cautionary I, tale against yeah. wow faith Christian healers. Yeah, it's weird, right? <laughs> like, and and I realized that like saying all that, like, there's even a scene where a guy breathes fire. Donald Sutherland channels like a demon named Cayuga or something like that, and it's like so. All of this sounds really exciting, but I'm telling you, imagine this in the most after school special way possible and that's what this movie is i uh, know i agree with you and there's lots of stuff that just doesn't make sense in it it's like they're trying to say they want you to be have a question whether or not 
the guy can really channel demons or not, but they do that so incredibly poorly. I can't <laughs> even begin to describe how bad of, they botched that up. And then there's stuff like the Chadlow's mom is like lecturing her son at one point about like, you should stay away from that guy. He's dangerous. And like two scenes later, she's in church watching him. Yeah. And you're like, what is happening movie? It felt like, a, like two different guys directed this, the same from the same script, made their own wildly different decisions, and someone cobbled them together into one film without really knowing what they were doing. Yeah. Because it's a mess. Yeah. But it's a weird mess. <laughs> Chad Lowe's not good. Uh, no. Donald Sutherland, I think, recognizes that that Chad Lowe's not good and is like, well, then I have to be doubly good. But then it's sort of like, but in the service of like a shit movie. Yeah, I, I heard one guy go, he goes to full-on uncured ham. <laughs> It's like, oh, that's pretty accurate. Um, cause it is, it's a ridiculously hammy performance from, from Donald yeah. Sutherland. I mean, which is one of the things that makes it watchable, but it's not good. It's not a good movie. No, it's, I mean, and they marketed it as a horror film and this is, no, no, <laughs> it really is not a horror film. I mean, there's scenes that are supposed to be like the guy thinks he's seeing demons, but there's nothing about them that are scary or even approaching scary. Well, so it was like based on a true story, and then when the movie ends, I was like, "What? What? A, like, what's the? Okay, you've seen planes, trains, and automobiles, of course. where Steve Martin gives John Candy the spiel about most stories have a point. Like, <laughs> I'm like, it's based on a true story, but when you get to the end of it, I'm like, who's Whose story? Yeah, I because... feel like that's a Thor gift there. Like, is it though? <laughs> <laughs> I was sort of like, if it was, that means that somebody was the storyteller in all of this. And yeah. I'm like, but who would that have been? Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, uh, I, it is not a, not a recommend. It's one of those you go, if you, if you, the only people I could recommend this to are people whose specialty is doing podcasts about <laughs> really weird and, but useless movies. Yeah. And there are those people out there who are like yeah. looking for shit just like this. This is your thing. Did you find it? Did you find it boring? At points, I found it quite dull, but then it would wake up and do something. So what are you doing movie? I yeah. mean, it's, it's, it's definitely a rubbernecking type of film where it was, you know, where you're just like, it's such an absolute train wreck, but it's a fascinating one. It was one of the more, uh, <laughs> the, in the ratio of watchable to terrible, it was one of the more watchable, terrible movies. Yeah. Like the gulf between how bad it is, but yet how watchable it is. True. Uh, I, I, I was always interested in how bad it was. <laughs> <laughs> I never lost interest in its crappiness. <laughs> that, that's very fair. That's very fair. Um, I, I, it comes with a commentary by Brian Reisman, who I assume is another critic that we haven't heard of. Uh, Original Sin, which is a, uh, a uh, 15 and a half minute look by critic who we have heard of, Kat Ellinger's okay. look at the trends in gothic horror and religion throughout film, including this one. Um, Color Me Kelvin, a nine minute interview with the cinematographer Kelvin Pike. Grantham to Bergen, a seven and a half minute interview with the makeup supervisor. Man, they were stretching here. Makeup supervisor? So not the person who actually well, did the makeup. You remember when he got, when Chad Lowe got punched by his dad at the beginning and he walked around the first 30 minutes of that movie with that bruise on his yeah, cheek? Yeah, there you go. Yeah. That was their job. Yeah. And then the original theatrical trailer. Wow, that was a thing that we saw. Um, <laughs> I don't know, man. So is that your pick of the week? I would assume. Uh, no, I've got I've got one, but no, not that one. Well, you know what? We have enough movies and we have enough time that I'm going to just go ahead and split this up into two episodes. What do you say? 
It sounds good to me. You okay with that? So we're yeah, gonna I'm take fine a, with it. We're gonna stop here, and then we'll be back in another couple of days with the second half, where we start getting into some really wacky some some revisits to some stuff that were both better and worse than we ima- remembered them as being. Is that accurate? Yes. <laughs> better and worse than you might. I'm trying to think if there was anything else in the stack that I might have seen. I, I think everything was new to me. Oh, okay. Well, well there see. you go. We'll see.